Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, TV time is here. That's right. We're talking about the bionic woman, the ghost hunter, on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from someplace in Massachusetts that's between Boston and Salem. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where normally we talk about horror characters and the order in which they die. But on our off weeks, we tend to turn on a TV show that normally has nothing to do with horror, but has one horror episode, and we talk about it with you. And as always, there's only one person I trust, and i tell you more about that, but the following information is classified. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I was really going to try to put on some sort of, like, vague German accent, but I, nobody needs to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I, of course, do not do accents. So my Laz, my Dr. Laszlo ex- accent is probably going to be not what everyone desires. Um <laughs> So I guess the question I have for you, as I do for every one of these TV show episodes, is did you watch The Bionic Woman? You know, I I actually don't think I did. Uh, this was a little this was a little early. This was what seventy six. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if if I did, I'm not really going to remember it. Uh, I obviously I, I you know I I know the cultural references. You know I know the the the, the little. <laughs> I didn't know she actually did the whole little like like sped up thing, which kind of cracked me up. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm used to you know the the slow motion running and a noise. Uh, yeah. you know I, I didn't mm-hmm. know that she could also be really super fast too. That's how other people perceive how fast she is with the one arm. I I don't know how one bionic arm allows you to stack up books that fast that that was new to me <laughs> i generally had a more of a cultural awareness i don't think i i watched if i did i was sat in front of a television set to watch it um uh but i definitely saw a lot of six million dollar man and bionic woman in syndication because i think they played them a lot as a package or sold them as a package because uh, they happened concurrently. One of the few TV universes in the world. Uh, this is a TV universe in which both the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman are happening concurrently with one another. Um, so, and the only other thing is that, uh, of course, longtime listeners will know I have a fascination with Universal Studios. But when we would, when I would force my parents to take me to Universal, uh, one of the cinematic stages, the third stage, the special effects stage, um, at one point was Bionic Woman based, and my mom was chosen to be the Bionic Woman several times because I guess she just kind of had the right hair for it. So <laughs> that's um, awesome. I, maybe she looked great in a white pantsuit. I don't remember, but uh, certainly uh, Jamie Summers knows how knows how to rock it so this episode takes place in season one which is only 14 episodes long and i believe as a as a semi-replacement there's a lot of lee majors had this thing where he was constantly renegotiating his contract and i think at a certain point universal nb and abc are like well if you don't want to do this fucking show you know what we can do is take this side character and half of your episodes will be done by her. And so that is how the bionic woman is born. 
And so there's a lot of backlot on both the $6 million man and bionic woman. And oh my God, is there a great placement here? But we will get to it. The episode opens on the moon, full moon, but no werewolf howl. What the fuck is this, Gina? You show me a moon and no werewolf howl? Yeah. Not one. I, I'm sorry. There are certain expectations I have. When I see a full moon, I better hear a werewolf howl. How else am I going to know that this is a spooky thing? And the TV show's explanation for this is ghost vision. That's right. We get whole sequences in ghost vision, which is basically someone put a prism in front of the camera and all of the lights have like these spectral rainbows coming off of them. This ghost rises from the grave, busts out of a cemetery, walks across town, goes into this house and a lab, which is filled to the brim with loose beakers. (laughs) And what you don't know at this point is that the scientist working in this lab is working on electronics. Why the fuck he has so many glass bottles filled with acid? I can't fucking tell you because I don't think you work on a lot of that shit when you're doing circuitry. You know what I mean? Yeah, you probably should not have bottles of acid and, and electronics in the same room, honestly. And he's just got a shit ton of them. Uh, and everything in his house is falling over. Something called the Alpha Sensor just blows up. Later, the solution is to put the Alpha Sensor in a closed box. How would that stop a ghost? How does a closed box stop a ghost, Gina? <laughs> I mean, maybe it's like lead lined or something. I don't know. <sighs> it's got a cross on it. Um, they 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 mix they mix a yeah. lot of uh, a lot of supernatural mythos this episode. Yeah, they're really throwing everything against the wall to see what will stick. So something blows up, and then a guy walks into the room. <laughs> Christy McNichol is sleeping in the most stately ass bedroom I've ever seen in my fucking life. Like, is she British royalty? Yeah, I was gonna say she's like she's like ten, and she's got this like massive king size bed with like the like the like scrolled headboard. Not not a toy in sight. Nothing. <laughs> not 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 a poster. No, of no, Le- no. Not a poster of Leaf Garrett on the wall like you would think a ten year old would have in nineteen seventy six. Yeah, not a single framed photograph of a horse. Like, there's a lot of things that she should hang. You know, and there's nowhere, but she has a fireplace. So good for her. I mean, her bedroom is bigger than my house, I think, is what it comes down to. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, a ghost came in. Um, sorry about that. Anyways, I got a ghost to work. And then we cut to Oscar, who is, is Jamie's handler. He's also the six million dollar man's handler. Um, so he's pulling two fucking pay- paychecks here. He's like, if there's a bionic person, I'm involved. That's 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 in my contract. And she's packing a suitcase and he's like, all right, we're going to ship you off to this town that's in between Boston and Salem. And she's like, ooh, spooky. It's like, it's not that fucking spooky. Why, why are we, again, we're mixing every possible thing. And yet no werewolf howls. And he's like, <laughs> well, you're going to go and check out this doctor. Dr. Corey, and he he hands Jamie a straight up the actor's eight by ten to identify the character. <laughs> I love I love I love when when movies and TV shows do that. I mean, they have framed it out like they've xeroxed it and blown it up so that his name doesn't appear along the bottom. But that's the only thing they've done to change it. Is 
here's this guy's eight by 10. And she's like, Ooh, Hachi Machi. And he's like, I listen, I don't deal with girl parts. That's not what you're going there for. You're going in as a governess to help protect the alpha sensor, something we are not told what it does or why it exists. It just, it's the alpha sensor, baby. It's it's all you need to know. And she's like, okay, so if I'm a governess, there's, there's a child involved. And he's like, no, fuck that kid. You protect the alpha sensor. That child can die in a fire as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> then we get the opening credits. I, I wish commercials were involved here, but unfortunately we do not know what sort of manslaughter Cheryl Teagues is performing on men who get too horny around her. In, in the opening credits, we, we learn under the title profession that Jamie Summers is, quote, a tennis professional. What does that mean, Gina? A tennis <laughs> professional. I don't know. This means she's like a, a player on the professional circuit, or is she a teacher? Or yeah, does like she it, you know does she make custom made rackets? Or? I mean, I've heard the term tennis pro before. Like you work at a club and you teach people to play tennis. Is that like that was her prerequisite for getting bionic limbs? Was like, well, she's gonna be a great spy. She was a tennis pro before. Like, how does just, that fucking work? I just want to see, like, you know, like whether she's like testing out her her abilities. Like, she like serves a like a tennis ball, so when it goes right through someone's forehead, like Oscar inside, just like, oops, <laughs> <laughs> like, oops, <laughs> like you know, turn that down a little bit. She needs some tuning up. Mm-hmm. A little too much <laughs> sauce in that Miami game. <laughs> Uh, well, I think it's so funny. One of, the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the running gags of the show, I assume, and certainly in this episode, is that mm-hmm. like nobody's supposed to know she's bionic. I I don't I don't know why. I, I don't know why no one's supposed to why this is like a big secret. But like, so she'll like do something like like the, the like oh that bookcase fell over. It's very heavy, and like 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 he turns his back and she like lifts it up with one arm. And he turns around, he looks vaguely mm-hmm. puzzled. He's like, he's like, wow, you're really strong. <laughs> and then that's it. Like, like no one says anything. She's more like, than well, that. maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it's, heavy, it's not as heavy as it looks, I guess. Like, is, like, and then later, like, excuses. Later, like, acid falls, a bottle of acid falls on her foot. And, like, like her foot's fine. And, like, like Chrissy McDickle's like, your foot should be scarred. It's like, no, your her foot should be, like, a skeleton. And I'm fine. She fits with just, like, this, like, shriveled hunk of a shoe. <laughs> it's like, it really did damage to the shoe. And the shoe is blown apart. Like, the, the, the shoe has been through hell. And her foot, nothing is wrong with it. And I, I thought for sure, like, it would reveal, like, that she has a mechanical foot. And you would see the mechanical foot. And it's like, no, we don't have the budget for that. We do have the budget to tear apart one shoe. So <laughs> that's what you do. So after the opening credits, cut to a matte painting of Courthouse Square on the Universal Backlot. But wait, it gets better. And Jamie arrives at the, a stately home. I don't know where this is located. It looks like La Cunata, but it could be any rich and fucking neighborhood in Los Angeles, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of goddamn hills for Massachusetts. Let's put it that way. A lot of brown hills. She arrives in a white pantsuit. Like, if you are protecting a, a doctor who's under attack by a ghost, you would think you would wear something that 
maybe has a more bold pattern in, in it in case you get into trouble. But she's like, no, I fucking work in white pantsuits. And I guess because it's 1976, there's this creep in the fucking driveway looking at her. And the person with the bionic ear is doesn't like, who the fuck is that guy? Nothing. He just let it be, everyone. It's 1976. You could just straight creep on people. It's fine. And, um, and, and, it, it, comes and then, to, it comes to nothing anyway. Like, I was a little confused as to... to who this character was and what he, what Barry he had the plot. And it turns out nothing. He, he arrives with a book that he wrote and it turns out that's helpful, but he isn't fucking helpful at all. This is when we're introduced to Amanda Corey, uh, played by Christy McNichol. And from this moment on, I will only refer to Amanda as Christy McNichol because I am a professional. Also, you could pull the hair feathering machine dial back down from 11 <laughs> to maybe six or even five on Christy McNichol. She looks like she is on the cover of Tiger Beat every time the camera falls on her. Yeah, she, uh, I guess she's maybe about like 10 or 11 here. And she's got that very kind of, yeah. you know, f- you know f- frowning, uh, 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 precocious child thing. And, and, yeah, I, I, the, the big twist in this, I, I kind of saw coming because like she's constantly shooting daggers out of her eyes at everybody. It's obviously her doing this. And th- if there's a mystery here, that's not what they went about doing. Like every moment they possibly can, they point the camera at her and there's practically a neon sign behind her going, she's doing it. She's doing it. She's doing it. She's doing it. And like, don't worry. Everyone will get confused once paintings start doing scenes for the for like two whole fucking minutes. A painting does a scene with voiceover. That was television in 1976. <laughs> Jamie picks up that bookcase and then does a bit of symmetrical book stacking. He, she's like, what what tipped over this bookcase? And Dr. Corey's like, I'm afraid I can't tell you what falls over in my house and how often Miss Summers like what? Like she's there. She's part of this super spy agency. And she's like, why is shit keep falling over in your house? He's like, I don't have time to tell you. I've got to work on the alpha sensor part one. So you can fuck off with my daughter and have fun with her. Um, This is of course, right up until the point he gets horny for her. And then he can't stop talking to her. One one scene later, suddenly he's like, Hey, I'm going to take a ride in my canoe. (laughs) (laughs) If you know what I mean. Hey, child, you fall asleep. I'm going to take this woman we just met on a canoe ride. <laughs> yeah, I love you know that. I mean, it's like, and I think you do. Yeah, it's like, go to sleep, 10-year-old. You're very tired. <laughs> and so, yeah, we get the reveal that there's a giant book that is put on uh, its own, uh, its own like, uh, mantelpiece. Um, and she's like, what's this book? And Christy McNichols like, oh, that has to do with one of my great, great, great grandmothers, Rebecca Putnam, uh, in 1692, you may have heard of her. She was accused of being a witch anyways. I'm sure that won't come up again. Bye-bye. And that's when we get an entire scene performed by a drawing. And then we return to the graveyard. Um, when, when Jamie is disturbed in the middle of the night. So she jumps out the window and follows what appears to be blowing leaves, which hide the mom's graveyard in gravesite. And she just is like, Oh, well that's interesting. And then Dr. 
Emil Laszlo shows up and she's like, who the fuck are you and why are you following me? And he's like, listen, I have great information to tell you. Like, that's French. I don't do accents, goddammit. Neither does this guy. It's a shitty accent. He's just a weird beardo with Ferrari glasses on. And he's like, listen, um, I show up when there's unusual phenomena because I myself am unusual phenomena. And she's like, fuck off. I don't want to see you near this graveyard. I want to see you near the house. You just fuck off. And and then he, he she's he's like, uh, listen, I have information and there's something dangerous happening and you need to know about it. And Jamie Summers, well, I'm referring to her by her character name for some reason, Lindsay Wagner. Lindsay Wagner starts having a conversation with herself on screen. Where it's just like she's going, like who are you, who the fuck are you talking to? Are you murmuring to yourself? Like, like, like occasionally Becky will look over at me and go, "You're having a whole conversation with yourself, aren't you?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm working out a bit. I'm working out a bit. I have to tell you, I'm working out a bit." Uh, but this is on camera. She's just having a conversation with herself, mumbling, and the camera's just like. Listen, we got to fill this 20 seconds. Otherwise, we will not make our time on this episode. And so that's what it is. That's it. That's the scene, baby. Uh, When we cut back to uh, the bionic woman, she's on the couch. She's talking to Oscar. And she's like, I don't know. Something funky is happening. There's a cemetery involved. Emil Laszlo. Maybe you should look into that name. You know, maybe he's a foreign agent and Oscar's like, I'm highly doubtful that we need to be concerned with this person. And she's like, thank you much. Thank you much. <laughs> that is a weird, did someone write down on a typewriter? Thank you much. I, mean, I, I guess that's like, you know, she's being casual. That's, that's, that's cash. <laughs> she's not a professional bionic person. She's still, you know, a semi pro. Um, so that's when Dr. Corey arrives again and like his blab is torn asunder from the ghost and, um, she goes to pick up a bottle and he's like, Oh, that's acid. That'll come back into play later. And he almost puts it on the broken shelf and then puts it on another one. Again, if you have acid, maybe put that on a shelf that can't be broken. Maybe put that in a fucking cabinet or something. My, my guy, um, but she like bends the shelf back into place with her bionic arm. And his response is, you have a way with shelves. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think he is trying to flirt with her at this point because in the, in the 12 yeah. hours or so since he has seen her last, now he suddenly decides that he likes her. Yeah, no, he, he gets, as soon as she starts lifting bookshelves and straightening metal, he's like, I am horny for whatever is going on here. And she's like, you need to tell me what's going on. He's like, all right, all right, all right, all right, right. My telekinetic ex-wife is trying to sabotage my work. <laughs> and that's what comes, like, that is the shit that comes out of his mouth. Like, I didn't say this to a lot of people, but my wife could move things with her mind. And after her death, she said, I will come back and try to make contact with you. And she's doing that by ruining my work and my daughter's upset by this. And I want her to get the fuck over it. It's kind of how it comes across. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's kind of odd because it's like, Oh, you know, I'll let you know, you know, I'll reach you from the other side. And then, but, 
but instead it's like, yeah, I'm going to ruin everything that you love, especially your work. Yes, I, your work is getting in the way. Your wife was kind of a bitch, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So she could move things with her mind and she hated what you did. That seems like a great combo. And he's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? But uh, really, you know, my daughter's not happy with me either because uh, when my wife was alive, we used to do picnics, which implies that picnics are the work of a woman, which I found very odd. (laughs) (laughs) And someone I'm supposed to go, ooh, this is a hot guy. Is like, you know, when my wife was around, like, she would make lunch for us and we would go out and like be a family. Otherwise I would just shut myself off like a fucking weirdo hermit in this room with acid and this electronic panel. No one knows what it does. Um, But you know, why don't we all do a picnic that way I can see what you look like in a different kind of pair of pants. Okay. (laughs) Like I'll make some sandwiches or whatever. And then (laughs) he says, I've forgotten what it was like to have an attractive, vital woman around. <laughs> like, oh, you're not getting laid with that. That is not that is not a phrase that's going to get you pussy. I'm just gonna come out and say it. <laughs> my, my wife, you see, she she was she was she was dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> when my wife passed, I had forgotten what my penis does. But now that you're here and I can see that you straighten shelves with one hand. Mm, have you considered my penis? And so that's what happens. He's like, stop calling me Dr. Corey. I have a first name, Alan. Dr. Alan, my telekinetic ex-wife is sabotaging my work, (laughs) Carrie. Cut to Lake Malibu. Lake Malibu is a real place. It is an artificial lake that was built to gather rainwater uh, to be used to fight forest fires in the Malibu uh, National Forest. Um, It is now much more populated. That giant rock that they're doing a picnic next to, there are homes there now, including the home of a good friend of mine. So um, I've seen this place a lot, uh, Lake Malibu. Um, It's kind of crazy how they frame it so that it looks like they're not around anyone when there's a tons of homes around there. Um, also that is not a lake. I would suggest anyone go for a dip in because when they get in that water, I'm like, Oh, Oh, they're coming out itchy as fuck. Like that's not water you want to splash around in these days. Yeah. They, this scene is a, uh, very extended scene of the, the terrifying shot of a, a log, slowly drifting <laughs> towards their canoe and then you know, kind, of, kind of nudging at it like, hey, hey, hey what, what are you doing? What, what are you guys doing out here? The, the $6 million man, he's fighting Bigfoot and Yetis and other evil bionic people. And on the bionic woman, she's she's in a canoe fighting off log attacks. <laughs> log, torpedo log attacks. I, I, I guess she's got. Like, I guess her bionic arm can also weld things. Right. Yes. I, I'm, uh, somehow Jamie's hand is like flex tape. You know that that <laughs> meme where a guy slaps a piece of flex tape 
on a giant plexiglass thing filled with water and it stops. That's what she does with her hand. I don't, I don't think that's how bionics work. I don't think that's how. I know. I think she, I think she's honestly, I think she's honestly welding. She, cause there's like sparks coming out of her hand. I think she's honestly like, has like a little like welding thing in her hand. <laughs> Uh, well, like a, like, a, like, a, like a soldering iron or something <laughs> you know, in case she wants to, like, you know, build her own computer. What are your powers again, Jamie? Well, I have two legs so I can run fast and jump. I've got an ear that can hear for extended uh, distances. I have an arm that's really strong and a soldering iron in my ring finger, I guess. I don't know. We didn't always have it, but it came in handy this one time. So... Th- the problem is that they're attacked by multiple logs <laughs> because it can't just be one log attack. Uh, uh, spoiler alert. Amanda is doing this when she falls asleep. So when her dad goes, Amanda, you have been sleeping well. Why don't you take a nap while I fuck the bionic woman in a canoe? <laughs> and she's like, okay. That's why logs attack. Emil Laszlo is just up on a hillside going, that's strange. And... <laughs> They're like mind logs, they get, basically. She's sending logs with her mind. <laughs> they are mind logs. Um, they're 100% mind logs that are coming after them in that canoe. And so they get bounced out of the canoe. And Jamie's like, I'm going to swim you real fast because you're unconscious. You can't see me do it. And she jumps out of the lake and wakes up Amanda <laughs> And it's like, hey, stop sending mind logs after me. <laughs> At one point, Oscar, she has another conversation with Oscar. She's like, have you seen anything suspicious? And she doesn't say, I was attacked by logs in a lake. <laughs> me- meanwhile, the doctor, the fucking physicist is like, well, the it's the current of the lake. Lakes don't have currents. They're enclosed bodies of water. They can have undercurrents, but they don't send mind logs after you, you <laughs> fucking asshole. Like, you understand what telekinesis is, but you're like, I don't know, the, the current on this lake is sending multiple logs after my canoe. Uh, he's not, he's not, he's not very smart, uh, that one. And she's like, okay, something weird is going on. You need to tell me what's going on. He's like, I don't know. But I can tell you that my daughter's not doing it because Amanda, I love her a lot, but she's not a breakthrough in physics or anything. And you're like, but she is your daughter, you asshole. Like, why would Jamie find him attractive at all the way he talks about his daughter? Yeah, he just sort of seems vaguely annoyed that in the event of his wife's death, he's been left in charge of his daughter. He is very annoyed at that because he has a lot to do. And he's like, all right, I have to go to MIT. So Jamie's going to be in charge of you. But I'm so I'm so happy to have two women in the house. And then he kisses Jamie on the cheek. And it's like, she's your fucking coworker, my guy. Like, I I kiss my coworker, but I've also been married to her for 18 years. It is weird. This person has arrived in your house two days ago, and you're like, well, you're a woman. I should probably be able to kiss you. Yeah, he's just very casual. Like, wow. She's like, oh, <laughs> he kissed me. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm happy for any male attention since the bionic, since the $6 million man isn't around. And so he takes off 
And this is where they have the incident in the lab where they're, for some reason, again, straightening up his beakers and beakers and beakers of caustic chemicals. One spills on her foot, destroys a shoe, and then she puts on a different pair of shoes, which, which Christy McNichols like, those were my mother's shoes. <laughs> and what? what were your dead mom's <laughs> shoes doing in that lab? Yeah, just like like just you know, just had a pair of shoes just sitting out. And the guy's like, listen, I don't keep anything of of my wife's or daughter's around, with the exception of one pair of my wife's shoes. Because when things get lonely, I just look at the shoes. Like, there's no good answer for why he still has a pair of his dead wife's shoes laying around his lab, Gina. Yeah, I I, I guess you get the impression he's just be kind of an absent-minded professor, but that's that's pretty fucking absent-minded. Yeah, that's very absent-minded. There, there's a lot absent in that particular mind. So Dr. Laszlo shows up to be creepy and vaguely foreign. And he's like, I know exactly what's going on. Read it in my book here. And she and Jamie's like, okay. And as they're, he's like, let's talk about it in private. There's this thing called a poltergeist. And that's what's basically going on. And I'm like, hold on. If, if we're going to find out, that this house was built on a graveyard and they just moved the markers and not the bodies, I think we could win a court case. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, there, there's, like, uh, they, they, as you say, they they throw a lot at the wall to see what sticks here. So you, we've got this, you know, oh, well, I, I my great-great-great-grandmother was, a uh, you know, she was killed during the Salem Witch Trials. That doesn't really come to anything. Uh, because there's no. not, it's not witchcraft involved here. The the name of the episode is Ghost Hunter. There's no ghost hunting, <laughs> and, and, this, and this is and you know and then you know well this this is this is a this is a haunting. It's not a haunting. It's a poltergeist. So we've got like yeah. f- four different things here that they're trying on for size. Yes. Uh, he's like, let's go in a different room and talk as loudly as possible about this poltergeist. And I think, I think Christy McNiggle is triggering it. And all of a sudden that same bookcase falls over on this guy. Jamie picks it up and kind of pushes him off to the side and then puts the bookcase back down. And she's like, we got to take this guy to the hospital, Christy McNichol. And she's like, well, that's the hospital my mom died in. So fuck that. And she's like, all right, what can you do? At least help me move Mr. Dr. Laszlo into my car. It's like, well, hun, you have a bionic arm and two bionic legs. What is this 14-year-old Christy McNichol going to do to help move this guy? Like pick up his bag, like make sure his hat falls in. Like, you don't need her help. No. Yeah, and, and she seems like she seems baffled the idea that like she could just stay home while 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 she takes while, while she takes him to the hospital. Jamie you know takes him to the hospital. We're told by a nurse and another dark universal hospital that that everything's fine. She's like, Do you have a phone? I need to call my boss, and he needs to be very dismissive of everything that I say. And she's like, so what's up with Dr. Emil Laszlo? And he's like, I don't know. He may be a spy. He worked at a Polish Institute for crazy phenomena. I I don't know what to tell you. All I do know is that MIT loved what Dr. Corey did with that first alpha thing. And so alpha phase two, he's going to start working on it right away. And 
Like Christy McNichol hears this in her dream state and is like, no, 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 no phase two. Shit's going to go through the roof. No fucking way am I letting this happen. And so sensing this somehow, Jamie gets back into her car, starts driving back to the house, is attacked by a, a ghost grabbing the steering wheel or something. I'm not sure what that is. But she stopped right in front of a bridge. And it's not just any bridge, Gina. Hold, hold, hold on to your socks if they haven't already flown off your face. <laughs> this isn't any ordinary bridge. This is the collapsing bridge on the Universal Studios back lot. So we have an entire sequence in which the bionic woman is attacked by the collapsing bridge. Now, I went over the collapsing bridge four to five times a day for a full fucking year. And I can tell you, it's not as much fun as what is happening in this episode of the bionic woman. Um, the boards flying up are not actually on the bridge. That is definitely model work because that shit doesn't happen. But the kind of beams that are falling down, those are added after the fact. But the the whole like part of it is dipping. That is actually there is hydraulics built built into it. But it's um, I, it's very weird to see a human being on top of it when it was built for for four giant tram cars to actually drop on it. Uh, good for Lindsay Wagner for uh, or her stunt woman for being out there on that bridge in the middle of the goddamn night. Yeah, seriously, it's it's it's, it's, it's pretty good. Like I said, the, the the slow motion running is is pretty silly, and and I, I think yeah. it's definitely the 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 bionic woman effects. You know, I I think the novelty of it probably would have worn off. Probably wore off for a lot of people after maybe like the third or fourth episode. Uh, I don't know. Like, I didn't find this as hard to get through as the Mork and Mindy episode. Like, that was harder at 24 minutes than this was for 50. And I couldn't tell you why. And maybe because I'm a simp. I'm a simp for the bionic woman. I, I don't know. But she leaps away from the collapsing bridge and makes it back to the house where she's attacked by a fern. <laughs> a, a fern attacks her. And then a statue. And then she finally makes it into Christy McNichols' bedroom. And I guess someone pitched this episode as what if the exorcist, but it actually it's a bionic woman trying to convince a teen girl that her father isn't a dick. He's just kind of an asshole. <laughs> and if it's okay, it's okay if he wants to sleep with the governess. Dads have needs too. Yeah, like there's the thing about governesses. Dads want to sleep with them. There's a reason why we bring an eligible woman into this who appears to have some facilities for helping raise a child. It's because, uh, doctor, my ex-wife was telekinetic, but I don't think that can be passed on to my child. Is not he's not going to be able to just bring any lady home. So we why not bring this bionic woman into the equation? And she's like, don't like, I know you are angry with him, but I promise you he will start taking you on more picnics. Anyways, I got to bounce. So we get a whole like exorcist bed thing. And she's like, your subconscious mind is still in charge. You got to realize that your dad isn't as big of a dick as you think he is. And she's like, all right, fine. <laughs> so the next day, Oscar's like, all right, listen, I got to take the bionic woman somewhere that she's really needed because this is fucking ridiculous. Um, and Dr. Corey's like, yeah, 
I'm gonna my I'm gonna turn my child into a lab rat, and eventually she will kill me out by a lake, and then maybe she'll kill, she'll raise up Jason Voorhees. I don't know. I'm just spitballing how the telekinesis is gonna go from here. And Jamie's like, oh, works for me. And then she goes to hug Christy McNichol. It looks like she feels her up. It's a very <laughs> weird hand placement. But her hand is literally on her chest. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, she couldn't go for a full hug because Dr. Corey's still in the way. And so she gives her a half hug with a hand over the boob. And I'm like, that, that is odd. And Dr. Corey's like, call me sometime. And Jamie's like, fuck no. <laughs> we got to get in the car. And uh, Oscar's like, we need to leave now if we have a ghost of a chance. And everyone goes, wah, wah, <laughs> It's a real police squad moment. Only like Dr. Laszlo is in the background in a full body cast giving a thumbs up. He's just like rolling down. It's like, 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 a nurse, like, like the, uh, the nurse stops the lap and lets go of the wheelchair and he rolls down the hill. <laughs> Does the old Nordberg over a railing. Ba, 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 ba spins off from the third deck of Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Oh my god. I know. It's the best. Uh, Ollie laughed, I want to say like five times. It just no, there's no movie on earth that makes him laugh intentionally. He laughs at unintentional shit. He just does not we showed him Zoolander and I think he laughed three times. It was like the gasoline fight was as, as much a laugh <laughs> that we could get out of him. There aren't really any on-screen deaths in this episode of the Bionic Woman. And I like if you had the choice of dying in the Salem witch trials or a mystery television disease that has to get Dr. Corey's wife out of the way, which one would you choose and why? Oh, uh Salem Witch Trial. That that shit's bad as hell. Yeah, I'm taking TV mom disease who has to get out of the way. That is the way to go every single time. If you can take TV mom disease, get it because that is the way. I to mean, get ch- off I mean, chances chances plan. are you'll chances are you'll 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 look really good, like even on yeah. the edge of death. You will have a portrait of you that stares at everyone in the house. I'll tell you that right now. I was gonna I was gonna say you'll you'll have a very nice oil painting of yourself. Josh Hollis does all of our artwork and Revenge Body does all of our music. Uh, get this uh, remix and all our other things at Revenge Body uh, Memphis at Bandcamp.com. Gina, where can people find you on these here internet? I write about movies and television at thespool.net. Uh, I have a substack in which I write a, also about writing about movies and television. That's Gina watches things.substack.com. And I am on Twitter and Instagram under Gina does things. All right. Do it today. People check it out. We're on all the socials. And of course, check out our Patreon where we're doing fun stuff every single month, like talking about movies like Phantom of the Paradise. And of course, doing our Friday the 13th commentary episodes. You don't want to miss it. Uh, next week, we'll be back with a movie episode. I'm not sure what it will be, but I'm sure it would be cool. And until then, don't worry, folks. The body count will continue for myself and Gina. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.